A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello and welcome. I'm Tim Farron and this is A Mucky Business. It's the show where we look at the politics of the day through Christian eyes. Many people will think that Christianity and politics doesn't mix, and that politics is just full of compromise and sin. Well, in that case, I guess you'd be right. But then again, so is everything else since the fall. And I think that we should be praying for those who are involved in politics, especially those people who are Christians, and doing so in an informed way. Well, these are unusual and indeed terrifying times. So today we've got a guest who is a friend of the show, the Reverend Mark Mennell, former chaplain to the Treasury and to the Cabinet Office. He's in Budapest, just 150 miles away from the Ukrainian border. We're going to be talking to him about his contacts in Ukraine and what it feels like to be that close to the unveiling horror. Nobody can fail to be moved by the harrowing pictures we've seen from Ukraine over the last few days. The UN's Refugee Agency estimated on Sunday that 368,000 people had already fled, and this figure could reach 4 million. Thousands are queuing at the Western borders to escape to Poland, Slovakia, Romania, Hungary, and Moldova. This is shaping up to match the Syrian war as the biggest movement of displaced people since the 1940s. Contrary to popular belief, there is no legal obligation for refugees to settle in the first safe country they reach, which makes sense when we think about it, because otherwise, those countries bordering areas of conflict would simply get overwhelmed. That would be unfair and it would add to the hardship. This is why the European Union said that its 27 members have agreed to explore granting protection for Ukrainian refugees for three years without them having to apply for asylum. Now, so far, our prime minister has not followed suit. Things are emerging almost by the hour, but as things stand, the only Ukrainians who could come to the UK will be refugees with family here already. It's also possible that people may be able to come through a sponsorship scheme, but the chances are that that wouldn't be ready for at least six more months. I don't know whether he was serious, but Kevin Foster MP, the immigration minister, tweeted over the weekend that Ukrainian refugees could come here if they were prepared to be part of the seasonal agricultural workers scheme. So, you know, you can flee here for sanctuary so long as you'll pick our strawberries. That tweet was deleted a couple of hours later. The Foreign Secretary Liz Truss has indicated that the UK will do more, and I really hope that will happen, and will happen quickly. A YouGov poll at the weekend found that 63% of British people would support the UK taking in Ukrainian refugees. On Sunday, the Prime Minister spoke at the Ukrainian Catholic Cathedral in London, and he spoke about the parable of the Good Samaritan, and he said that that parable teaches exactly what we must do when our neighbours come under attack, that Ukrainians are our neighbours, and that it is right to help Ukraine in any way that we can. I'm not sure I've ever agreed with the Prime Minister quite so much. So I ask him to stand by these words, and not just for citizens of Ukraine, but for those fleeing conflicts, famine and persecution around the world that receive far less media coverage in Eritrea, southern Sudan and Myanmar, for example. This crisis highlights the Nationality and Borders Bill, which is currently going through Parliament. One of my great concerns about this legislation is that it will create two categories of refugee. Those who come through formal routes, for example, the resettlement schemes for Syria and Afghanistan, and those coming via informal routes, such as Eritrea, Iran, and for the time being at least, at least for some people, Ukraine. We're not acting as a good neighbour, 
if we divide refugees into the deserving and undeserving purely on the basis of the method they use to get here. The government says that the bill is seeking to discourage people from making dangerous journeys across the channel on flimsy dinghies. But as we saw in Afghanistan last summer, and are now witnessing with Ukraine, when your country is being invaded by a hostile power or taken over by draconian partisans, when your city is being shelled or armed militants are taking up positions on your street corner, you do not have time to queue for a visa at the embassy. You literally have to collect what you can carry and flee for your life, depending on the mercy of others to take you in. As things stand, Ukrainian refugees arriving on our shores with no family connection could be treated as criminals, given only temporary leave to remain, have no access to family reunion, and have no recourse to public funds. They could also be sent to offshore to another country to have their asylum claim processed under the current proposals. And that includes families with children. And by the way, if any of us help them to get here, we'd be treated as criminals too. Ukrainians don't want to settle here permanently. They want to return to Ukraine as soon as they can, because that is their home. But in the meantime, we need to show generosity and do our bit to welcome them in for as long as they need to stay here. I am proud of the reputation that the UK has of upholding human rights and religious freedom, a place where people know they will be safe. As we pray for peace and justice in Ukraine, heartbroken and angry at the wickedness that is taking place, let's do what we can to be a welcoming, warm and prosperous people who do our bit for our innocent neighbours. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, joining us from Budapest is the Reverend Mark Menel. Mark, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Tell us a little bit what you're meant to be doing in, in Budapest and what you are doing. Um, thanks so much, Tim. It's good to be with you. Um, I'm here uh, to be doing a, a, a training conference. So I, I, my day job most of the time is going around mainly Eastern Europe training pastors. Um, and this is the first in-person conference I've been to for two years so that's very exciting um, and it's lovely to be back um, but of course we are just down the road from horrors east of here um, and I've done a number of these events and some of the things in Ukraine so I've got lots of friends there and I'm in touch with them. So you are 150 miles or so from the Ukraine border, Hungary a, a major neighbouring country what does it feel like in Budapest knowing that this is just up the road um I think there's a feeling and I've picked this up from a number of friends in other central European countries there's a feeling of immense solidarity I think one's seen that with the the, the footage of you mm. know city squares being filled up with protests and stuff and I think you know people uh, across the continent who have even a slight awareness of history know that this kind of thing has happened before with devastating consequences and it's very frightening to be back in that kind of situation so i think there's an immense goodwill to to people individuals to people particularly in ukraine obviously i think there's also an awareness of many people in russia who are really caught because they might thoroughly oppose what's going on but fear really rules that country it seems and trying to speak out is is a very difficult thing um and i think there's an immense sense of you know we have to do what we can do so uh, one example i heard that for instance all the railways in the czech republic are now making travel free for anyone with ukrainian documents 
um, in and out of um, Czechia. So that's amazing. I think others are doing similar things. Um, but I think also there's a sense that the war is not far away. So someone was in Budapest main station yesterday and noticed that there was a huge transport train carrying uh, military equipment east. So there's a sense that it's just down the road. So you've spoken to friends in Ukraine, mm-hmm. in the, both the political and uh, in the church sphere, so to speak. Uh, how are they feeling? What are they telling you? Um, so it's a fairly consistent message. I think people are terrified. I think there's a sort of disbelief of, you know, uh, one friend just at the weekend said, you know, I, I can't believe I was trying to figure out what I could carry in one bag and leaving my home and thinking, you know, even the possibility that I might never see my home again. Um, I think what's particularly hard is those uh, families, because one of the things that's happening is that men um, are unable to cross the border if they're between, I think, what is it, the age of 18 and 60. Mm. Um, So they're being told they have to fight. I think the one exception is that if you have, I think, what is it, three or four under 10s. So if you and your partner or wife are getting out with four children, they'll let you. But otherwise, the men are staying. So I've been talking to uh, one uh, woman uh, today who's actually made it to Rotterdam, her husband is staying behind uh, while she and her daughter uh, in the Netherlands. And it's just, um, you yeah. know, you fear the worst. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, just who knows? Absolutely. Yeah, I think you have a father of an 18 year old yourself, myself, I kind of think hang about. This is this exactly. is very, very real. My very, son would very... have been fighting too if he if, yeah. if we were there. Precisely. And um, many of us will be thinking in those in those terms, and and so obviously in terms of how the church operates mm. in Ukraine, Putin hasn't particularly cracked down on the church specifically in Russia. But what does the what does it mean to be a Christian in Ukraine in the face of a of a Russian onslaught? Um, I think it's terrifying, and I think the sense that you know uh, when there's mortar fire and missiles and things, they're they're, they're no respecter of. Well, as we've seen some of the footage, you know, particularly if, if hospitals and schools and things can come under fire, then obviously uh, religious buildings are no exception to, to, mm-hmm. to what's in range. Um, I think um, I, I, I know that there are Christians in, in Russia who are having to, you know, really watch what they say and mm-hmm. what they tweet and all of that. I think um, there is a lot of um, surveillance. Um, so obviously the fear is if, Ukraine does fall, then uh, there will be a lot of that to come. Um, And, you know, I think uh, the BBC was reporting recently that um, intelligence says that there's a hit list of people they would go after, which is what an invaded country always would do. So um, I guess prominent uh, people politically and in the church are going to be, you know, under threat. Um, But I think... um, what people are doing is that where they can, they're meeting together and praying, um, sometimes mm. desperately. There's, uh, there was an amazing thing I saw just yesterday of a church meeting in one of the, the big underpasses uh, for the metro system in Kyiv, um, singing. Um, and that's incredibly moving. And there is a sense um, that comes back from the Maidan experiences, what was that, eight years ago, which was, you know, the big turning point for for Ukraine in terms of turning their back on the East and of sort of uh, oligarchy and oppression and saying, no, we want to be free. And Mm. I think 
even though it's got much hotter now and, and more lethal, mm. I think people are really trying to cling to that Maidan spirit of saying, no, we, we want to determine our own future. We don't want to be a, a vassal state. Mm -hmm. So obviously here in the United Kingdom, there are discussions in Parliament today about mm. how many, what kind of um, refugees we might take from the Ukraine. What, what advice have you got for our listeners as to how they should engage with this process? What do you think is appropriate? Um, I'm by no means an expert. Um, I've been talking to people here. Um, I'm trying to link up with individual passes in different cities where Ukrainians are, are reaching um, and where I can be a link. And I know many others are doing the same. But I, I, at a distance, I think we can pray, but of course, mm. pray for justice and truth and for, for peace and for wisdom and just some of the insanity behind this invasion. I mean, it, it really does seem... Um, irrational and and uh, crazy some of that would be quelled um, I think um, giving we can give to charities that are doing the work I think that's important and maybe churches can do that collectively mm. um, I think basically already I think I read half a million people Ukrainians have got to the borders and are getting out half a million already yeah. They're going to be many more, especially if, you know, the shelling of big cities like Kharkiv in the Far East, but also um, a town I was in just um, west of Kiev uh, about two or three years ago, Irpin. Apparently, someone just told me a couple of hours ago that is under major fire now, and the mm -hmm. main bridge there has been destroyed already. They're going to be many, many more. So all countries have to do everything they can. This is on our doorstep. I don't think mm -hmm. we... We've got any excuse. So if you feel that um, your MP or um, constituency party or whatever it is, is, is holding back, well, write to them, lobby them. I think the government definitely needs to do much more on this in, in making things much more straightforward. Don't make it difficult for people. Uh, they're most desperate. This is not economic migrants. This is this is desperation. Yes. And worth bearing in mind as well that as things stand and it's evolving almost by the hour uh, that there may well be a situation where we could have a kind of community sponsorship scheme where the government right. wouldn't allow people in um, without restriction which is a massive shame in my opinion but they would allow people from the Ukraine in if a community would sponsor them right. in which case a church could be put their hands up and say we'll take a dozen people for instance, in which case it's a thing to fundraise for and it's a thing to step forward to through your member of parliament and offer that you will do. And I'm doing that with my mm -hmm. community in, in, um, in Western. When, when you talk about praying, I mean, I'll, I'll confess to you, I, don't, I, I have rarely prayed so angrily. Mm. I know, I know. That you want God to um, really, <laughs> gosh, this is tough, and I'm nowhere, mm. near, I'm nowhere near it, uh, to really intervene and to prevent this. And how, how can it be when you're, so here am I, you know, sat in Cumbria, you know, probably, you know, I'm, I'm not that far from Sellafield, but otherwise, otherwise probably <laughs> the safest bit of Europe. And I'm, I, I feel as I feel and so many, many others do as well. Um, what does it mean to be a Christian, to be in Ukraine or very close to Ukraine and to see this horror and this injustice rolling out in front of you? Um, how do we think about it? How, how do we approach it? How do we... In, how do we rationalize it? Yeah. Well, I think one of the amazing things um, is 
this shakes us out of a kind of cozy, small L, liberal, just sort of, um, you know, a, a soft, we've got to be nice to each other type thing. Mm. What, what this forces one is to actually name names, to use words like evil mm. and wicked and, and that justice is not just a sort of a placard word. It, it is something that has to actually mean something, therefore has to have teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I've noticed people talking about war crimes and, and, you know, that has to go through all the proper processes and channels, but it's pretty hard not to avoid thinking about that possibility. I think the fascinating thing is that the Bible actually does equip us with some of the language and imagery. I think a book like Habakkuk is, is amazing because actually what's shocking about that is, is um, he's full of doubt, but his doubts arise from the fact that God is not judging. Mm. and not doing something about evil mm. um and actually on the plane coming over here to hungary i was having a look at the lamentations and it's fascinating lamentations um it cries out it has different voices crying out to god mm. one of the most striking things about that little book is that we do not hear god's voice at all in it um it's as if god has allowed this book to be in the bible as a way of giving voice to different voices in the face of evil and 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 and, you know that was in the written in the heat of invasion or in the aftermath of invasion Mm. so i think some of that biblical language in the psalms as well actually gives us a way of channeling that rightful anger to god Mm. and i think we honor him when we do that and we honor the victims yeah i think you're absolutely right i think the bible does and through many of the psalms as well give Mm. us the material the permission to really lay it on god um the injustice and awfulness and you know and crying out for him casting our cares onto him um and it's more than just our cares it's our it's our terror it's our anguish it's our deep and our fury justice fury that this should be permitted to happen i guess it's also a reminder that you know we we you know when we were younger men and we saw the berlin wall coming down we think this is it you know the bad mm. times are over now the good times are with us forevermore mm. it's a reminder that this side of eternity um you know we will always have evil with us you know in this world we've been promised trouble fear yep. not he says i have overcome and there the are wars and there'll be rumors of wars yeah um yeah so yeah it doesn't make them any less uh, appalling and wicked. I mean, I, I guess one thing when we've spoken before, and it's something you've written about very powerfully um, uh, in your book, Wilderness of Mirrors in particular, um, you know, is how we deal with truth. I mean, f- mm. famous quote, truth is the first casualty of, of, of war. There's so much news about this war, um, this assault on uh, Ukraine and on all that is right and just. Mm. Um, how do we listen to the right stuff? How do we soak up the right news? Um, I think that is such an important but really tricky question because there's no question that things like uh, um, Twitter and, and social, um, Facebook and stuff have been exploited by um, propagandists, and we know that, um, and that is a matter of, of public investigation now, both in this country, um, in, sorry, in the UK and the US and elsewhere, and um, just... I've I've not spent a lot of time, but reading one or two of the official statements from the Russian Ministry of Defense is just like you're living on a different planet. What are you talking Mm. about? I don't recognize Mm. anything. Mm. Um, I suppose we just have to um, have a mixed diet and 
um, you know, don't re don't rely just on one or two pet favorite sort of reporters or whatever. Mm. Um, and yes, I mean, the BBC, I think that there are questions sometimes about them, of course, but I think it's interesting that they do work hard to try and check sources. I noticed I watched mm. a little video and they said, we don't know where this has come from or who took it, but we have had this verified by several people, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And there are other people reporting from the ground and individuals in Ukraine. And so I think, it, you know, for the non-expert like me, it's difficult, but I think we got to try mm. and um, do what we can just to sort of the wheat from the chaff. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and be, be um, selective in what we listen to. I noticed that Twitter started putting on their uh, on some of the uh, profiles of people that this is a state sponsored journalist. Yes which some of these people have got very cross about <laughs> um, that we might from now on take with a pinch of salt what they uh, yeah. what they write. But then again, I think the fact they work for Russia today might possibly have given us a clue. <laughs> in yeah. the first place. And, and, and likewise, other other people, you know, if they're concealing exactly what their job is or. Mm. Um, well, I think this is one of the problems in politics generally is, you know, who your donors are, <laughs> mm. then Indeed. that. That is definitely a question, and I think that's partly why people are worried about all the Russian money in London. Indeed. Mark, there's so much more we could talk about. Mm. Um, we're really grateful to you um, uh, for what you're doing and for being with us today. We will be praying for you, and we'll be praying for all of those um, 150 miles and further east from you in Ukraine as they are subject to such wickedness, and we pray for justice to be done. Amen. Thanks, Mark. Thank you so much, Tim. Each week, we answer a question from you, the listener, about how Christianity and politics can work together. Maybe you're thinking through a particular issue, or you're not sure why people disagree on a certain policy. If you've got a question, I'd love it if you wrote it in, in an email, to farron at premier.org.uk. Now, this week, Christine in Wimbledon has been in touch, and she asks, I'll be interested to hear a politician who favours putting forward positive ideas and policies instead of just scoring points over the other parties. Do you not think that is a tendency with all parties? Well, Christine, thanks for the question. I think it is a tendency. Um, how should Christians in politics and in Parliament approach it? Well, first of all, I think we are obliged to be gentle, to be kind, um, to be thoughtful and to be constructive. And it's right to set out what you would do and talk about how you might make things better. I do think it's perfectly legitimate to criticise in a fair way other points of view. And I guess that's how things work when it comes to justice and democracy. We challenge other positions. And if they're good and strong positions, then our challenge will show them to be right. And if they're weak positions, our challenge will show them to be wrong. And maybe us saying what we say might mean that we replace a bad or indifferent policy with a better one. But I do think one thing is really important for Christians in politics. We shouldn't be neutral about injustice and we should be angry when it's right to be angry. But we should also do so with humility, knowing that even if our proposal is better than our opponents, this side of eternity, it won't be perfect. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, as we come to the end of our time together, let's all join together in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we cry out to you for Ukraine, for the people of Ukraine, that you would protect them and you would keep them safe and you protect their freedom. And Lord, we cry out to you 
for justice against the, the oppressor. We pray for Putin's heart to be changed, to be turned from war and from dishonesty and from persecution. And we pray, Lord, you are the God of justice. And sometimes in this age, in this culture, we don't like the idea of you being a judge. Oh, Lord, these circumstances in Ukraine remind us that it is a wonderful thing that we have a perfect, just judge. And we pray for that just judgment to fall, for your hands to intervene, to protect the innocent and indeed to afflict and turn back the guilty. Uh, Lord, we pray for peace. We pray for wisdom. We pray for uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, the um, president of Ukraine, that you strengthen him and give him wisdom give him strength and provide for him and his country that they might defend their freedom and do so at minimal cost. We pray for wisdom for all of the leaders of the NATO countries, the surrounding countries, China and all other countries, the United Nations, that they may act wisely um, and determinedly and effectively. Uh, Lord, we pray for Christians in Ukraine, especially, and in Russia, that they would not give up mating together that they will stay faithful to you, that you, they will proclaim you, Lord Jesus, as the Prince of Peace and the one true King, um, the one before whom all presidents and emperors and kings will bow the knee. Uh, and we pray that uh, you would be glorified through this. We know you will be somehow. Um, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget, you can catch up on all the shows which have included interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash a mucky business. I'm really grateful you spent the time to listen to this. 